Well, good morning, everybody. Good to be back with you. And uh, last week, we appreciated the, the fill-in there from Al and from Vinny and uh, had an uh, adventurous weekend there. We had a 60th, 60th anniversary celebration for my in-laws, and so uh, had a good time, and it meant a lot to them and appreciated the opportunity to get away uh, with them and celebrate that quite a, a once-in-a-lifetime milestone for sure. And uh, it's good. And we were looking around. I think there were 22 of us present. I think 13 or 14 of them are from uh, this couple here. <laughs> so uh, with all the people that were there. So it's amazing how quickly uh, that changes, doesn't it? But anyways, uh, we're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. We uh, were last in Hebrews, what, two weeks ago. And we completed chapter 1. And today I want to look at these opening verses of chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, follow along here. It says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Lord, we are grateful for your word and for giving it to us. And as we study the Bible today, help us, O Lord, to put it deep in our hearts. And may it find its, its place with us in each and every individual, but Lord, as a church as well. Thank you that your word goes forth and it doesn't return void. We are grateful for that. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this um, uh, uh, opening of chapter 2, and it begins with the word, therefore. Now, all you good students of the Bible, what do you ask when you see that word? What is it there for? All right, whenever you see the word therefore. In our previous section in chapter 1, we learn a little bit about um, God doing his speaking. Remember, it says, for God who at sundry times and in diverse manners, I'm memorizing it in the King James, which I originally memorized it in, it's New King James here, but it says, it says that in that section that in various times or in various ways that God spoke to us, right? He spoke through how? He spoke through prophets, right? He spoke in his son as the final revelation, that's also part of that. And that's really what we discovered as we looked through chapter 1, that God was doing speaking through his Son. In other words, Jesus Christ is the final revelation to man. He's the final message. And when you come to chapter 2 and it begins with, therefore, the weight of what was previously uh, read or taught hangs on that word, therefore, we ought to now do something. And one of the things that you'll discover is that what you really, really believe, you will do. And um, if you believe truly that Jesus Christ is important, well, you'll make him that priority in your life, hopefully preeminent above all things, because that's how the Bible presents him, in his power, in his presence, right? In the way he cleanses us from sin, uh, all of that in his death. He's better than the angels. We talked about that in chapter 1. And we did that. Now, uh, if you want an outline, and again, I took this outline from uh, Adrian Rogers' uh, series that he did on Hebrews a while back. 
think it was 1991, that the message that he did. But uh, the outline is good, and I like what he has here in, in for an outline, verses uh, two or chapter two, verses one to three. The tragedy of an aimless life. You see, we're always in danger of going through life without any exit strategy, without any plan for the future. Most of the people in my world live that way. They live for the moment or at best just a few days or years ahead. Uh, looking ahead, and I, I'm amazed at how much we do in our, our planning for life, right? We plan according to our, our health, our careers, our, our schooling, you know, earlier on. We, we plan hopefully for families. We, we plan these big things that are all important things and then plan for retirement, uh, but do you plan for eternity? You see, that is the most important thing you should be planning for today. And if you don't, you're actually going through this life aimless. And you know, if you shoot at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Now, that is the, the point of aimlessness. And we don't want to end up that way. And so he says that. He says in verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed... To the things we have heard, lest we drift away, or think in the King James says slip away, right? And the idea of drifting away, that's the word that is used there. It's, it's possible to drift and not even know you're drifting. That, matter of fact, it was um, uh, one of the explorers back in the early 1900s that when he was looking to go to the, uh, to the poles, and that was William Perry, uh, when he was looking to look, go to the North Pole, um, he set out, went as far as they could in June of that year of, I think it was, eight, they did several expeditions. I think it was in, uh, not 1827. In 1827, they went as far as they could by ship and then got two smaller boats, weighed down with each about 1,500 pounds of supply, and he took 20 men, and their plan was to go to the North Pole, trekking across the ice, and uh, pushing these 1,500-pound boats, uh, 10 men to a boat, that's quite a bit of weight, pushing it. And they had to make 13 miles a day to do that. After the first day, he took a reckoning of the stars to see their position and everything, and they, only just had, they had discovered they only went about a quarter mile from his best determination. That's not very good, is it? And part of that was the conditions of the ice, but then they made a little bit better headway another day, and they figured out they actually had lost. They were going north, but they actually had moved further south. And they figured out after a while that the ice was flowing and that the ice was moving, and they were actually going south even though they were traveling north. It's possible to think you're going a certain direction and then not be. You're actually moving an entirely different direction. That happens. Then there's other times where you just set out and you don't even, you don't even really think about it too much. You just go, right? And that's how a lot of people just do life. They, they just start out and say, well, whatever comes happens, you know, and well, I'm just going to go with the flow. Well, sometimes that too can get you in a lot of trouble, right? And especially if you don't plan for the end of life. You don't plan, and I would say it's even better than that, plan for this life. Because part of being a Christian and part of salvation, which is what we're going to talk about today, that so great salvation. Listen, it is about the here and now and for eternity. 
He's promised to give us life and life more abundantly. A fullness of life, a direction, a purpose, a meaning. All of that is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's better than any other plan that you've come up with or that man has come up with. It is the way it is. Back in, on November 27th of 2022, not that long ago, uh, two men set out on a trip from New Jersey, Cape May, New Jersey, on the Trevita second, the second a boat, a 30-foot sailing boat. And uh, one of them, the man who owned the boat, was Joe uh, Ditomazo. There we go. And he was 76 years old, retired mechanic, um, he took his best friend, Kevin Hyde, and their dog, his dog, Minnie. And they set off to go from New Jersey to sail to the Keys in Florida to spend a few months there in the warmer climate uh, than off the shores of New Jersey. And as they set off, um, he had this plan. They had provisions for the days that were necessary Um, which was not a whole lot because they planned on taking port in South Carolina and replenishing their fresh water and their food stocks and that kind of thing. So they set off and and, uh, Joe had this plan that he was going to stay close enough to shore that he would just use his cell phone to communicate. Didn't have a radio aboard, um, didn't have any emergency beacons, anything like that, just would use his cell phone. Well, he discovered once he got out to sea far enough, he never... He didn't have any more cell phone signal. So they continued on their journey south, navigating along. And all of a sudden, uh, a great wind came up and the sail was destroyed. And they ended up being tossed around in the ocean. and ended up further out to sea than they had hoped and ended up in the Gulf Stream. And instead of, and by the way, at this point... Uh, they obviously lost contact with him and their relatives began to really worry and the Coast Guard began to search. The Coast Guard conducted a 200,000 mile, square mile pattern to search for this craft that was now missing. And they were looking off the coast of South Carolina because that's where they figured they would be. But lo and behold, 10 days later, a tanker ship discovered them floating out in the Gulf Stream and they were even further uh, adrift from where they had started in as far as latitude goes and that and that and they had drifted all the way from about the shores of South Carolina all the way back past where they left and and they learned some lessons from that one is make sure you bring the right radio equipment and you make sure you have a plan and and you know you tell people where you're going and, and the days and all of those things and more provisions maybe all of that But again, it shows us that sometimes we just set off thinking, hey, I got this. And we aren't. And when it comes to your eternal life, your spiritual life, listen, you you don't have this. Neither do I. Because you can't. You can't save yourself. You, You can't get to heaven on your own. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. He's exclusive in that. And when the author here to the... To the Hebrews, he writes and he says, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. These things are written for our instruction. We're to know those things. And by the way, we're to look to him because he's really the one who guides us in those things. And as we go through this study in the book of Hebrews, you'll find that over and over again, how Jesus is presented as better. Better than the Old Testament prophets. Better than the law. 
in that the law wasn't wrong or the talking about the holy law not at all but he fulfilled those things and where the law failed to help us keep it jesus is allow as is able to help us now follow him in righteousness in those things anyways Jesus had these warnings as well. In Luke chapter 9, verse 62, he said this, But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. See, if you are going to go through life always looking backwards, you will, you're, you're wandering aimlessly. I have to say that. And we do spend a lot of time looking back, looking back. Not that it's not important to see the past. I think it's important to learn and look at the past and look at history. But hopefully with a view for the future. Don't turn around and be distracted by the things that are in your wake. If you do, you could end up adrift. We, we know of one such individual in scripture. There are many that I could have picked. But one, as the Bible shows us in the New Testament, is named with the Apostle Paul. You imagine accompanying the Apostle Paul and, and listening to his teaching and listening to him expound on the things that like he wrote in the epistles and things like that, it would have been quite something, right? <clears throat> there was a man named Demas who was like that. We first read of him in the book of Philemon, in verse 23 of that one chapter book. He's named here, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborer. So, there were fellow laborers with Paul the Apostle. Demas was one of them. In Colossians chapter 4, he's mentioned again. It says there in verse 14 of chapter 4, Look, uh, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So we know Demas was still with the Apostle and his, com- his companions. Luke was one of them. But we come to 2 Timothy, Paul's last writing, his last book. His his swan song, because he knew he was getting ready to actually be martyred. And he was ready to be offered in that way. But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8 it says, Finally, Paul says, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, it's worth it to press on and to follow Jesus Christ. It's worth it, not just because we get a reward from that, but it's worth it because we will see him, the righteous judge, and we should love that appearing. We should love that. He goes on to say this, be diligent. In other words, therefore take heed to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, and Christians for Galatia, and Titus for Dalmatia. Demas for sick Paul. And he's listed here, sadly, in his last writing, as one who had drifted away, having loved the present world more than the Lord. Can, can I tell you this, that this present world will let you down? <laughs> Most of you don't need any convincing on that. You know it will let you down. This present world... As good as it might be, it's beautiful sunshine out there right now. And if you go out there, but I can guarantee you that um, you know you you go out there, and, and a beautiful sunny day can end up 
being a tragic day, can it? Just like that can happen. This present world will let you down. You can chase it all you want. It will let you down. Don't be adrift in your love for the present world. Because this present world is slipping away. Have a love and a desire for the Lord and do that. And it's important that we look at that in, in those things. And by the way, he's, he's one that has, um, has laid himself out for us in, in that. In Psalm, actually, I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 13. It says this. And this is uh, at the explanation of Jesus as he talks about the parables of the, or the parable of the seed. You know, remember seed was thrown on stony ground and some on good ground and some fell among thorns. He explains that here. He says, now he who receives or received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulnesses of rich, deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Now, I think that's something that is explanatory here that these, this seed falls in among the thorns and it grows. It actually sprouts. And the gospel is like that. It is a marvelous effect and a power to convert, right? Because people hear and as they hear, they place their faith in Jesus Christ, right? That's what the Bible says. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But the cares of this world come in and they begin to choke sometimes if we let them. And we can drift away. Not only drift away from the gospel itself and maybe never having received it. Many that are like that that say, no, I, I, I got too many things. I'm happy with my life right now and, and I don't want to have to deal with me, my sin. A lot of people use that excuse. Sometimes it's just... The cares of this world. Why would I give up half my Sunday to go to church? I've had people say that. That's my day of rest. Well, it's good. Glad you get a day of rest. And it's certainly a day to honor the Lord. And I think we ought to do so in that focus with the Lord's day. But I, I would say this, that, you know, you can go through your whole life having Sundays for yourself and miss the greatest message that ever was given to us to learn of Jesus Christ and who he is. Later in this book, it says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. The reason is because we're in this together. <laughs> and it's better together. It is. And the reality is you can become unfruitful. Christ doesn't want his believers, his followers, his church to be unfruitful. The Bible goes on to say in Psalm 28, 8, The Lord is their strength and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. Aren't you glad for that? He's a saving refuge. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. I like what Adrian Rogers said in his message. He said, bring your ship into the gospel harbor. Bring your ship into the gospel harbor. Make sure you're, you're, he's your pilot. Jesus is your pilot that way in doing those things. Well, there's a tragedy of an aimless life, but there's a victory of an abundant life. Look what he goes on to say in verse 3, and this is the heart of our message today. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Interjected in this passage is this invitation to accept salvation, or in this case, to not neglect it. It's easy to neglect the most important thing, isn't it? Sometimes that happens in our own lives, right? Those that are around you that you're closest to, you can neglect the loving relationship. How many times I've heard that said, and how many times I've experienced that, where I'm busy doing everybody else's business, but then I realize that my own home needs care. It needs those things. It's easy to neglect the most important things. Shouldn't be that way. Whatever you do, do not neglect so great a salvation. There is no other salvation. The Bible says that. For there is no other name given among men. Right? And it it says that. There is no other name. The name of Jesus Christ is the only one. And he is the one who saved us. And he did so at his work at the cross. The victory of an abundant life. Why is it so great salvation? Why is it so great a a salvation? Number one or point A, it's great in its conception. It's great in its conception. See, it wasn't something that we did. We didn't start. Now there's some that are trying to do that. They're trying to get to heaven or or their view of, of paradise or whatever. And they're doing it all by themselves. If I live a good enough life and I don't do you know, certain things, and I'm sure I'll, I'll get there if there's a heaven. That's, that's, that's a lot of people's philosophy. Unfortunately, it's produced by their own hearts. It's produced by their own minds. But what if there is a way to get to heaven that wasn't imagined by us? See, there's a lot of world religions out there that claim a way into paradise or nirvana or those kind of uh, philosophies, and they were founded by people. But Christianity wasn't founded by man. It was, well, it was founded by a man, the God-man, Christ Jesus. God himself. The triune God, really. We know that from Revelation 13.8. It says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life. of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world and it's reference to people worshiping falsely worshiping antichrist at that time but the reference to the lamb's book of life the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world do you know god's plan for salvation came into existence before anything else or before anything else was was made and I know that's a little confusing, and it's confusing to me. Like, how is it that God would plan all of that and then create us, knowing that man would reject him and sin and, and fall away in his sin and be left morally depraved and be going away from him, drifting away, because that's our natural bent. We'll drift away, because our sin does that. But God in all eternity, who inhabits eternity, to God it's already a done deal. It's already finished. And God sees the need and he sees the plan, the solution at the same time from eternity past. He sent forth the Son to be the Savior. The one who would be the Lamb 
slain from the foundation of the world. See, salvation is great in its conception. Secondly, it's great in its confirmation. In John chapter 3, verse 3, there Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, the confirmation of salvation is a new birth that isn't from down here, but from up there. A birth from above, literally. And the Bible talks about that. He goes on to say, you know, again, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. See, the greatest miracle that he ever performed was the miracle of taking a sinner and saving them and confirming that in a life that has changed, in a life that is now sealed by the Holy Spirit, that now can be led by the Holy Spirit. Confirming. And God didn't just stop with his people being changed, but he even confirmed it through miracles, miracles over nature. I think of the disciples in the storm. There's a great storm, and Jesus speaks to the waves and the wind, and he says, peace be still. And there was a great calm. And it says they marveled what manner of man this was, that even the winds and the seas obey him. That's quite quite a sight. You see, God can do that. Only God can do that, by the way. Still the waters of the sea. And bring a great calm. He raised the dead. He healed the blind. He brought uh, hearing back to those who were deaf. And, And many other things he did, the Bible says. John says, I suppose, if all the things of Christ were written in a book that the world would not contain the volume thereof. In other words, the, the, cause, the word world is cosmos. The creation would not be able to contain it. How can you take an infinite God and put him into a finite creation? You can't. And you'd never have time to write about him for all eternity. You'd still be writing because he's eternal. Think about all that. In Mark's gospel in chapter 16, near the end of that chapter and the end of that book, it says, and they went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. As the disciples and the apostles went out, one being the same, the apostles, as they went out, they confirmed the word of God in that it was a message truly indeed from God through different signs. And I would just say this, that those signs accompanied the message. When you come to Hebrews chapter 1, we know that those things had a purpose and now God has spoken in his son. We have the completed revelation of God. Get in this book. Many people out there looking for signs, looking for miracles, looking for lots of things and they neglect the greatest thing which is the scriptures which are finished and complete and tell us what he's like and what we're like and why we need him. In 1 John chapter 1, John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen, or that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to write in chapter 5, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. These things are confirmed to us, and they're written so that we might know we have eternal life. And that's the great thing about so great a salvation, is that you can know you possess it, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Well, it's great in its conception, it's great in its confirmation, it's also great in its cost. See, this salvation, which often you'll hear uh, the preacher say, it is a free gift for you to receive, and it is. You do not have, first of all, um, you don't need any money to, have, to get, get salvation from the Lord. Uh, you don't need to do anything for it as far as uh, some ceremony or be baptized or take the Lord's table or any of those kind of things. That's not what it's... It's something that was paid in full when Jesus went to the cross. We say often it's a free gift, but it wasn't a free gift in the sense it was free to God. It cost Him everything. I often compare that and contrast that when we think about the difference of the creation when God spoke and the worlds came into existence. It cost him only his word. But when he actually had to buy back that creation and people to salvation by redeeming them, it cost him his very life's blood. He would have to die. And that's what verse 9 says. In chapter 2, it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. And you say, well, what does that phrase mean, lower than the angels? He was. You see, he went from the heavenly, heavenly realm, and he put on flesh, and he came and walked with us. Angels haven't done that. They aren't bound by the same flesh and bone and blood that we have. Jesus purposely put himself into creation he was made lower than the angels for the suffering of death see only god in the flesh could die it says crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of god might taste death for everyone he tasted death for everyone that's part of the exit strategy by the way because the bible says it's appointed unto man once to die And then after that, the judgment. Death is going to visit us one way or the other, barring rapture. But I would just say this. He already tasted death. He knows what it's like to go through death. And we have a Savior who's like that. Don't neglect salvation, which came at so great a cost. Peter also echoes that in 1 Peter 1. He says, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. Right? How many people are trying to earn salvation today by bringing their silver and gold and putting it on some altar or in some way you know, giving their alms to the poor thinking somehow I'm going to attain favor with God. You are not bought or redeemed with corruptible things. 
from your aimless conduct received by tradition of your fathers. You're not saved by your traditions. How many people going through that today and they're trying to overcome this problem we all have which is death and trying to find salvation and they're doing it in their traditions. Traditions can't save you in and of themselves. But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, it's only the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, the resurrection that secures victory over death. It's only Christ that can save. And when Peter talks about precious blood, the word for precious is a word that, that it, it, it basically means that there's no monetary value that it ever could be matched to it. It's something of extreme value, preeminent value, and it is the blood of the Lamb. And again, he says, he indeed was a foreordained before the foundational world that was manifest in these last times for you. Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And then point D here. It's great in its content. Great in its content. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 11 it says this. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. You see, this salvation not only saves you from your sin and, and it comes at great cost and, and it's confirmed and all of those, those things and it was conceived by God, all that. But it actually has an effect that it brings you into reconciliation not only with him but with each other. And not only reconciliation, but sanctification. That's the process of being, becoming holy like him. And he's working on us in that way. And you know what he says? I'm not ashamed to call you brothers. Isn't that great? The Lord introducing you, if you're a Christian, a believer, and saying, you're a brother. A brother or sister, you know, that same term of endearment. You're part of the family. And see, that's part of the salvation that is so great. You become part of a family. And you know, I'm glad for that. And you know, the, the last point of this, <clears throat> and you could, you could talk about this as well, but part of that process by where he saves us and are being sanctified is this, that he will produce that process in eternity completely. Paul writes in Philippians, He that began a good work in you will perform or continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, that aspect of your sanctification will come to its fullness in His presence someday when you're face to face with Him. Isn't that great? Because there's days I I don't feel so holy. And there's some days that probably people walk around with me and they'd say, you aren't. (laughs) No wonder you don't feel holy. But I long for that holiness of that aspect of putting off that old nature finally for good and walking in newness of life entirely in his presence and doing that. The book of Hebrews talks about that. And throughout this whole study, we'll see where he, he talks about that anchoring point of Jesus Christ because he is that. He's what holds us in the faith. Not me holding myself in the faith, right? But him holding me. In the book of the uh, same uh, book here, Hebrews chapter six, verse nineteen, it says this: 
This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. And in the context of this verse is Christ who is our forerunner. As our priest, our high priest, who's able to make intercession for us before the very throne of God. But even more than that, he's the anchor for the soul. And I like that. You see, our picture of sometimes how we get to heaven is we got Jesus up there and somehow if I just keep holding on to him, if I can hold on to him, I'll make it. Not at all. He's our forerunner who's there and he holds on to you. There's a big difference with that because you'll never hold on enough. You know, an anchor. In ancient times, the Romans, and that would have been in the context of the Roman culture, uh, the maritime culture, um, when this was written in the book of Hebrews, if you were on a ship, you would have seen an anchor like this. Now, that doesn't look like a very heavy anchor. It's made out of wood. You'd say, well... A wooden anchor, I mean, come on, you know, a rock would be better than that. Just throw a rock overboard, maybe with a rope on it, and, and hope for the best. But that's not how they anchored ships most often. You see, they would have a few of these anchors stowed aboard a ship, and they were light enough to travel in, in these smaller vessels. And then when they got ready to get into a harbor, and they needed to take anchors so that the winds and the tide and everything else wouldn't push them against the rocks or, or bring them back out to sea... They would get a smaller boat and they would take one of these anchors and a rope and they would bring that smaller boat ashore. Sometimes just one person, they could manage something like this. And they would bring them ashore and they would find a couple really you know, heavy rocks that were bound together, but something you could put the anchor between and then they would connect that anchor right down there in the rocks. And then they would go and they would go do another anchor and another anchor and it would just keep that ship right in the port without having to worry about it being dragged around on the bottom because the sea is a powerful, powerful force, isn't it? And I think about that because Jesus is our forerunner. You see, he got in the boat before me and he went ashore. And he's there. And he is our rock, the rock of our salvation. And he is the one that when the Bible says he's our anchor, a shore anchor, listen, he is absolutely And I'm glad for that. Do you know him? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And the answer is you won't escape if you neglect that great salvation. Will you trust him today? Will you believe on him? Will you walk with him in righteousness? Need to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for your word and we are grateful for really God, what you have done for us in the payment of our salvation. Lord, we, I, I just pray that we'd rest in that today. Not in other people, or because we know just other people will let us down. But not you, God. You'll never let us down. Thank you that you are that sure and steadfast anchor. And as we get ready to leave uh, in the moment and fellowship around the tables, we're thankful, oh God, for how you provide for us every day. You provide for us as a fellowship and as a family. And and God, you're good in every way. May we be thankful today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and be discussed.